Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiast Podcast. Two Enthusiast Podcast. A podcast that's almost never about Ducati motorcycles. <laughs> yeah, almost. Almost. Right. I almost was going to throw in like a double negative in there because it is, it's kind of a thing. You almost not. We have, a, we have a problem. Yeah. You know, like the first step is admitting you have a problem. I don't know. What's the solution? I don't know if we need a solution. I don't think we do no. so that we don't have a problem. Well, I feel like that's how Congress works. Yep. Or America. <laughs> America. <Right>? Uh, <laughs> fuck yeah. All right, Quentin, before we get started, we should mention to the listeners that we are going to be doing a live show Friday, November 18th, 7 p.m. at the Motocorsa dealership in, here in Portland. At 2170 Northwest Wilson Street. Yes. Yes. So be there or be, be not be, podcasting. Be, be forever not in our good graces. Yeah. Something like that. But but we are hoping that our local listeners in the Portland area or or if we want to cross the border from the Couver. Oh, the Couvers. We the should get Coovers. some Couvers come over. Not Cougars. No. not co- Well, we, Cougars we from Cougars. Cougar. Cougar. Cougars Coover from Cougars. Cougars. Yeah. Cougar Cougars. Cougar Is that Cougars. like Floozy Goozies? Yeah, it's Goozy Floozies and Cougar Cougars. <laughs> 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 yeah, totally. Uh, seven to about nine. So still plenty of time to go out and, and party afterwards. Get your Friday on. Yeah. But good way to like pregame it. Yeah, pregame Friday, little podcasts. We'll do a um, little kickstand, uh, Q&A, Q&J. Q&J. Yeah, uh, I don't remember. It's Q&J. Yeah, I think that's going to be the format of the show. We'll do, a, we'll do like a, I don't know, like a regular show and then maybe do some listener or uh, audience member. Audience, yeah. Uh, so it's not live. Well, it's in live front of audience. a live audience. Yeah. Right? So it, we're not going to be streaming it. Just show up. It, have a good time. It kind of reminds you of like, do you remember TGIF? Like on, I don't know, ABC or whatever it was. It was like Family Matters and yeah. Full House no, and all that. Yeah, absolutely. And then like every like once in a blue moon, they'd do it like in front of a live audience. And they'd be like, Family Matters is filmed in front of a live audience. And like they would do it live. Sure. And no, the canned, no more canned yeah. guffaws. Yeah, whatever. We'll, we'll see how it goes. It'll like, be like that. Yep. So so not a live stream, but a live audience. But we'll put it up like normal. So you'll So if you're not, if you don't get to attend, you'll still get to hear it. Yeah. And it'll probably be rougher than normal because we won't be able to process it through the uh, editing machine. So uh, that's uh, probably What's this we talk? You got a mouse in your pocket? I can't tell if you're propositioning me or not. <laughs> Anyways, 7 p.m. Uh, Friday the 18th, Motor Corsa, 2170 Northwest Wilson Street. We hope to see you there. Uh, Quentin will be giving out free high fives. <laughs> Um, so we just got done watching, uh, a good portion of Red Bull Straight Rhythm and we got to meet, uh, <laughs> we got to meet. It's like a preemptive cracking my shit up. <laughs> we had such a good time with this. There is a racer that was in Straight Rhythm. His name was Dustin Pipes. Dustin Pipes. <laughs> and that's such an awesome name for a motorcycle racer. For a racer. motorcycle racer. Dustin especially Pipes. motocross. Just right? Dustin Pipes. What Dustin did you do Pipes. today, Dustin Pipes? <laughs> or are you just doing some pipe dusting? Pipe, Dustin Pipes? Pipe. I feel like that gets a little, I don't know. Well, it's it like could be, else. but not, not if you're us. You just make it. It's a good thing. It's rad. Dustin, if you happen to be listening to this show, doubt it. Then <laughs> right sorry. on, dude. Spot on. <laughs> Spot on Pipes. Spot on Dustin. 
Um, and he did okay. I mean, you're, he was national level. Um, I don't think he got through too deep into the... I think anyone, because that was like the finals, like anyone at that level yeah. was doing pretty well. Sure, including yeah. Ronnie Mack and um, Devin, <laughs> Devin Raper. Another... Which we're just going to stop right there. Just, I just don't know how you don't change your name. I just don't know. There we go. <laughs> just... Just throwing that out there, something to consider. Uh, and also, the cool thing was, Can we you imagine some- his wife is going to be Mrs. Raper. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Jensen, stop it! <laughs> All right, so <laughs> just, just, just looking at like personal branding. Just think about yeah, it. All right, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. All, right. All right, we got to stop there. At least pronounce it like French, Rappe. <laughs> Rappe. Oh man. Oh, that's like Target. Target. Yeah, and when we had this store in Texas when I was a kid called Wieners. Not kidding you, wieners. And we would we call winyes. <laughs> Just because it was like <laughs> why not? Yeah, you're going to wieners, right? Yeah, that and Target. Um kind of impossible to say Walmart with an accent and make it sound better. No, there's nothing that yeah. makes Walmart better ever. So uh another thing was cool was watching Josh Hill on the Alta. Yes, yes, yes Redshift. Yes. Uh who now we're kind of like into it because we've ridden the bikes we're one of uh, we're two of not many many people that have ridden those bikes no no they're they're just now well, i shouldn't say just now they've been doing it for about a month or two delivering bikes to customers but early days definitely yeah, early it's days. tens and maybe hundreds maybe if, hundreds if that but like like 100s not 200 right and so um that's kind of cool to have been and and it also adds a legitimacy like I was when i was riding the bike i'm not an expert dirt bike rider at all i'm a mid-level um, intermediate level dirt bike rider. And I'm like, this thing's rad. It works really well, surprisingly well. You wouldn't believe it, right? And I'm trying to tell people, and I think most people are used to the electric thing being, mm, yeah, because yeah. they'd get on or hear about the Bramo road well, bike like, or the Energica. And that's the segment's like biggest disservice it's done for himself is so many players in this space, the electric two-wheel space, have just come out of the gate making huge claims and and just kind of inflating what their bikes are capable of. And quite frankly, coming out with designs that really are just like scratch your noggin kind of, you know, they, engineering feats, you know, solutions looking for a problem. So it's, it's, it's muddled the waters a little bit or muddied the waters, I should say. And now you have Alta coming out and it's like, oh, it's legit. It's legit fast. It's legit. We're not trying to save the manatees. We're just, we think this is a quicker way of going on two wheels. And, you know, you got Hill at the straight rhythm kind of proving that point. And he's, he even was like, hey, I'm, I'm retired. Apparently, and this is what they said on the, on the uh, broadcast, is that Hill approached them via Instagram or some other social media. I'm like, hey, I used to race Supercross. I'd be interested in, in doing this thing. Uh, that would be interesting to corroborate that. But I, even if whatever way they got Hill, Josh Hill was a, a factory rider for a long time. Uh, kind of a gnarly story. I don't know enough about it to be able to comment. But he, he had his ups and downs and ended up retiring a few years ago. He has a younger brother that's fast. And he's fast. Uh, and it was obvious that he had the skill set um, during the straight rhythm. So if you get a chance to watch it, it's impressive to watch this vehicle, which is probably significantly heavier than the competition. It's essentially what they're selling. There's really not, I mean, there's hop-up stuff for electric motors. I'm sure there's things that they could do, algorithms, whatever. But generally, we're we're talking about the weight of the bike, the suspension of the bike, the power unit of the bike, the controllers of the bike. It's all what... It's kind of hard to... 
factory it so up super, or to super bike it put yeah. a cheater motor in maybe it, a bunch just... of uh, uh, titanium this and that maybe uh i would we'd have to talk to i'd love to ask him hey did you put titanium axles did you have magnesium wheel ribs and hubs and yada yada whatever all the stuff that i've seen at the factory and what they do they probably didn't no, right i'd be they, really surprised i would be too the only thing i could really think maybe they would do is tweak the software a little bit since they know they're only doing yeah. about a 40 second run sure so you probably can Max spin power. that motor up a little bit farther and not worry about heat as yeah. much yeah that's yeah. probably the only thing i could really see them doing because it's a low-hanging fruit for them sure but like i don't think that bike mechanically i don't think it's any different yeah so we're you know 251 pounds and the question would be was what would an equivalent fully set up supercross bike be probably like 230 yeah, maybe so like a 20 factory-ish pounds. one would be like 220 20 pounds is 20 to 30 pounds that's my guess it yeah. is a guess but that's a lot so watching him do what he did and you could see he had a little bit of trouble off the line a couple times they Which, just need to perfect a, it that surprised me the most to be honest because i feel like that's yeah. where the electric's gonna sure. have a real good that could advantage. be if you get the algorithm right and you get the rider i mean dude that's got to be extremely tough knowing Years and years and years of, and I and I can attest to it after riding the bike, you're used to holding the motor at a certain point and then you're, so your your right hand is is doing a certain thing and your left hand is essentially what is powering you forward. And to not have that and to be doing it, just basically hold it wide open and expect not to loop over, it's got to be a mental thing to be able to do that. And I guarantee you that's part of the, the thing was having him do a bunch of starts, a bunch. And he probably just didn't get enough to really get familiar with it because one time he did an amazing job and ended up beating that one guy. I can't remember who he beat, but it was impressive to watch, right? It was obviously right there with it. So cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, RedBullTV.com, I think. Red Bull TV for sure. You can find it. I think they're streaming the, it's like three hours long to watch the whole Red Bull straight rhythm. Um, but Red Bull makes it free for everyone because that's how they sell sugar water. Sugar water. Oh, so ta- cool. Taurine cool water. Well, that's going to be, yeah, there's well, a lot. There's good margins and yeah, sugar water. Sure. Absolutely. That's why Monsters all over, Rockstar's all over, Red Bull's all over, all everything now, right? Um, other than that, we've uh, recently did some riding. Uh, well, this is this is the funny thing. We actually rode together for a change. Yeah, it's not very common. No, yeah. which is weird. Like we spend for for as as intertwined as our lives are, we really don't spend a lot of time with each other. Nope. And I just want to go publicly and say I missed you. <laughs> all right, sorry, you, didn't miss you at all. <laughs> you you complete me. It's nice to know that's you. That's not shared. Me. You augment me. <laughs> you aug- <laughs> Well, that's a rabbit hole we're going to avoid. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we went for a little ride, <laughs> a little ride the other day because because um, it was freaking sunny. We, we finally had a sunny day. It's always sunny in Portland. Yep. Um, Victory gave me an octane to ride around on, so I had to put some miles on that. And you got to take a ride on it, which is good. Yeah, sure. A little brappity brap. What do you think of that? Uh, I, I uh, cruisers are a tough one for me. I just don't get them. I never have. I don't think I ever will as far as riding something that is compromised heavily for style. Like riding positions compromised, brakes are compromised, suspension compromised. Usually any any You're, more more than the maximum 30 degree lean angle that you have. Yeah, all, all the yeah. things that make motorcycling good for me are are not on a cruiser. So I'm again not hating, not saying because of that I think everybody that rides a cruiser is a dipshit. I just saying, I just, it's tough for me to evaluate. Getting on that bike uh, was immediately fairly comfortable, but after 
I mean, what did I do? 15 miles? Not even, yeah. Whatever. Our whole ride was like 70, 80 miles. Yeah, yeah, sure. And I just got on right at the end and I did mostly straight line stuff, but I did enough curves. Um, but my, it wasn't, it wasn't even a tailbone and it wasn't a sciatic nerve. It's like a, it's like my gluteus maximus on my left-hand side. And this happens on most cruisers, just seizes up and starts getting uncomfortable and I hate it. And I can't ride cruisers because of it. Just bad. Uh, and that happens on Diavels. It doesn't happen on the Diavel, the X Diavel, but it happens on normal Diavels heavily. Really? Because um, I'm the other way around. Yeah. The, the X Diavel with the forward controls for some reason work. This one has forward enough controls. Uh, but, and, you know, again, that's to me, I don't feel like I'm in control of the bike as much as I should be because of my body positioning isn't right and because the weight transfer is not right and because you're, you're, where you're grabbing onto the handlebars is so far away from where the front axle is. Yeah. It's just that it just, all of it boggles my mind uh, in every way, shape or form from the physical to the mental aspect of riding them. So again, it's tough for me to, to say, Oh, that's a great bike. The motor was great. I like the motor. How many CCs is that motor? 1200 CC liquid cool V twin makes 104 horsepower and like 76 Pound and, and it felt great. I had no issue yeah. with that. Um, great, great little motor. Real, real. It only revs to eight thousand. Yeah, it, it starts vibing at like yep. I don't know five ish. Yeah, no, it starts feeling a little six uh, speed manic. Though. Six speed. So you put it in six gear and you can cruise on the freeway and it's not too bad. No, it's not. But that yeah. getting to through those gears to the get to the six uh, speed sucks. Oh my it's god, like notchy shit. So the bike we had had about 650 miles on it when I got on it, which one of the first things I did was look because I was like, this thing is so notchy. It feels like it's right out of the box. And that happens. And it happens on most motorcycles. You've got to let the bike run in a bit before the shifting gets good. It's not just the... It's not just the gears. The gears really are a little, little of it. It's it's the shift mechanism, which is a, a fairly complex thing, and it's also the clutch. It's every all everything betting in, getting happy with each other, for sure can affect the way a, a bike shifts, uh, especially in Ducati land. Not that we ever talk about Ducati. Never, almost never talk right? about Ducati. Uh, but in, in this, it was it's not that. It, it's a the feeling of uh, you either have to err on positive shifts or. Uh, easy shifts, right? And there's one or the other manufacturers will choose like either either it's really difficult to get into gear, but boy, once it's there, it's there. Or you make it a little bit easier, but then there might be the the risk of it popping out of gear every once in a while. How much of that is like straight cut gears versus like no, helical that gears? that doesn't have much to do with it. The gears themselves, the dogs and slots, there's a little bit to do with it, the way they interact when you are shifting, but it's mostly the shift pawl and the, 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 um, the barrel uh, the shift drum, it's called a drum. It's hard to explain, uh, but it's a, it's a, it's a series of tubes. It's a series. I know exactly of, what you're talking about. I have no idea. It's how a you're series explain of this. channels and a round barrel that guide the shift forks that the forks, uh, it turns. It's almost how like a tumbler would look for a lock. Yeah, sure. It if takes, that, if, which is probably another thing that's difficult to describe, but if you know what it is, you kind of would make sense. It, it takes circular motion and turns it into reciprocating motion in a very strange way. It takes it, puts it in, I wouldn't say reciprocating, it turns it into linear motion. I knew someone like that in college. Yeah, I bet you did. <laughs> so the, <laughs> are you sure they didn't take reciprocating motion and turn it into, oh, never mind. So that. Oh, that was a dick joke. <laughs> oh, I just got it. Oh, I just got oh, it. That was a dick it. joke. Whoa, ding. All right, so that uh, just uh, surprised the shit out of me that it was that bad. So I I, I see really I see that changing. Uh, suspension was ten thousand dollar. Is $10, that the price point? price point? Yeah. So you got to realize ten thousand dollars on any motorcycle nowadays that's pretty cheap, right? 
So uh, mass produced or not, that's yeah. that's really inexpensive. Three inches of fork suspension travel, four point seven. In- oh, sorry, other way around. Three inches of rear suspension travel, four point seven inches. Four point seven inches of fork suspension travel. Oh, man. So there's not a lot going on there. Like for me, the suspension is just kind of just is what and it is. And that's cruiser. That's not just them. No, yeah. It's just cruiser. It just, and yeah. You can't do much with that. Again, unless it's a, a Diavel, which is a much better, more expensive and Who it makes made that. Right. So this bike, I didn't I mean I didn't hate the suspension, but I didn't love it. I wouldn't right. I wouldn't rate it high. The brakes were super the front was super wooden. And um, we came off the freeway, and I was like, "Oh, I'm going to do a threshold brake." And I, to be honest with you, nowadays I just assume everything has ABS. Everything, like what new manufacturer, what what would not come with ABS? So I really laid into it, and then uh, locked up the rear. And I, when I locked it up, it locked up like heavily. And I was like, "Whoa, that this bike doesn't have ABS at yep. all." Because right, it it didn't show any. And now I looked down on the dash; it didn't show any anything. So I was like, "Well, there's that." But the the front brakes feel pretty wooden. I don't know if that's if that's by design. I mean, it makes you wonder. Do they just spec out really shitty pads think, and a rotor, just, or is it? What's so weird? Because you look down and it's steel braided lines. So you're like, "Oh yeah, you guys." It has the feel. It has yeah. the pressure feel. It just doesn't have there's the feel, the, feel the, the the friction feel, yeah. and it's hard to explain that. It's right? like trying to like feel someone with a wooden spoon. You're like, yeah, it's right there. Yeah, it's poking you. Right? Yeah, it's tough to describe it. Yeah. I, I don't know. No, how the brakes to. are. I think the brakes. That's the thing. That's like when people ask me about it when I've been riding around on it. I'm like, well, it's a ten thousand dollar cruiser. It kind of is what it is. There are certain things about it that make you feel like this is a really cheap bike, and the brake setup is definitely one of those things where it's like you hop on and you're like oh yeah i'm on a budget cruiser because like this is obviously one of the spots that you cut corners it on makes you wonder what would it, like how much it would cost per unit and how much over the course you know like what are they and is it pads or is it calipers i mean looking down at the caliper it looks like the i'm not kidding you it looks like the same caliper that was on my early 90s cbr 600 it looks like a nissan parts bin uh, two two piston on one side floating caliper on a you know on a stainless steel rotor. It's dual, not, yeah, it's a dual piston. Is it is oh yeah, but it's only one side. It's only one side. Yeah, I mean, so the, what do you expect? You're not going to get a lot of feel from that. That's and just that's, the, way it and is. that's the thing I don't understand. And this is like a, again, where it comes down to cost and comes down to the aesthetic. Where you have a 500 pound 540. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head how much it weighs. Um. It's 500. It's either 500 or 540. It's over 500 pounds. Yeah, it's over 500 pounds. It can go easily up to 100 miles an hour. Why wouldn't you put dual brake discs on the front? Because it's just... Yeah. I mean, I mean, the tires aren't that great either. You got to think of who's riding, though. Most, yeah. most people. And the rear works pretty well, even though I got it to... Well, of course I got it to freaking slide because I... I was threshold braking on the front. I took all the weight and put it off the front, and we were going downhill, so... Uh, you know, working with it and and trying to get skilled with the brakes, I would have to relearn and use the rear almost like a dirt bike. To be honest with you, yeah. that's what it feels like, and that's the way. And when we a lot were riding, cruisers that are. was yeah, yep. And that's that's inherent to the cruiser, even though you and I know that that's horrible. It's like the stupidest thing ever. Unfortunately, that's the way, and especially with people that come off of cruisers and onto do, say Ducatis, they have a tough time, or many Japanese, any any, any performance, yeah motorcycle that's more geared towards performance or whatnot uh you'll see a lot of rear pads getting burnt out quickly you know when somebody has been a cruiser person 
or or a dirt bike person, but mostly cruiser, when they bring a bike in that has everything else is perfect, but the rear brake rotor is just warped, right? It's usually a good indication. Well, and that, you know, how do you, you got to teach that and it's tough to teach that to somebody that doesn't know they've been riding, they could be riding for hundred thousand miles for 30 years and all they ride is uh, the cruiser style and they wouldn't know how much they're missing out on. Yeah, but you know what? I went through the MSF course and they taught you how to brake with the front brakes and I'm sure Team Oregon does and all the other yeah schools are on. It's a bad habit. It's a bad habit you pick up doing shit. Yeah. Um, but back to the victory, I think interesting bike. We'll ride around on a little bit longer. It's not my jam. You, you, you complained about your back. My, my ass definitely hurts when I ride it, but more my, my left knee hurts when I'm on that bike. And that's a forward control thing. I don't like forward controls. I just don't. Uh, Uh, aesthetically. I like it. It's a good looking bike. I think, I think you put that motor, put it in like a street bike chassis and 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 do that right and home you'd run have, you'd have a bitchin little yep little get the uh, get the street. transmission shifted a little bit better oh yeah um, i forgot about that that definitely yeah but that's that's that seriously could be a, a fairly mild you know thing. what though i was so this is this is a good segue because i was just at the bridgestone h50 cruiser tire launch yep. and we rode around or at least i rode around on the indian scout which is basically the exact same bike with a different badge because polaris owns both brands yeah and you know what? It's it's the same jam. It's it's not. You're. I think you're right. There's a little break in that's going to occur, but it's still a pretty notchy gearbox. Sure. So they can fix that. They'll they'll get. They could get that sorted. You know. And I'm not. I wouldn't be that worried about it. And it's some of it is personal opinion. It's just the two of us are used to a certain thing. And right. If they had enough people ride the bike to determine that that doesn't matter fair enough but i'm going to talk about it well i think sure. that's and i think that's victory's thing because so, so the whole all this came about because victories came to me to try and get some information or my opinion on on how they could build sportier bikes and what they're doing wrong and i think this is part of it where it's like in the cruiser realm this is probably a really sporty cruiser you know it, it oh it's under 600 pounds oh oh it makes over 100 horsepower oh that was oh those are great figures six speed gearbox wow but you know, move the goalposts a little bit, put it from a different perspective of like, well, this is what the standard of care, let's say, is in the sport biking realm. This is what, you know, super bikes have, have perfected this already. Standard and of care. You're like, that's a good lawyerism. Yeah, I was about to say, is that business school or lawyer? That's a lawyerism. So why, what does that usually mean, standard well, of care? Well, just like the, the the common practice in the industry, what, what has become in... I guess I get it from context clue, but I'd want it, what I meant is like, what the, well, would that mean see, in Usually legalese? you see it like in, in the medical realm. Okay. So like, what's the standard of care? So like, like great example, I got bit by a stray dog last week. What's the standard of care for for someone that comes into the emergency room with something like that? Okay, well we gotta look, we gotta think about rabies, we gotta think about infection, we gotta think about is he frothing in the mouth? Wounds. Is he talking to himself? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's an inside joke there somewhere. Too, too soon, too, too soon. soon. <laughs> but you know, it, it's that idea of like you know, if you were just immediately like, oh, we gotta cut that leg off, that would be outside the standard of care because yeah, sure. the standard of care would be sure maybe rabies vaccine or maybe yep. scrub the wound out yep. with soap and water. Yep. Okay, good. You got it? Yeah, I just want to make sure because that's an intro. I just never, I don't think I'd ever paid attention to it. Yeah. I love your lawyerisms. Yeah, they're fun. They're yeah. fun at cocktail parties. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's 150 grand well spent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. You raised the bar? Did you pass <laughs> no, I the bar? I definitely lowered the bar. You lowered the bar, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Any profession that'll have me has definitely had the bar lowered. Um, I teased it. I want to talk about it. The, the Bridgestone H50 launch. So I went to Florida. The one time I didn't get to see you. Florida. 
Orlando, beautiful Orlando in, in October, yeah. right after a hurricane's gone through. Oh, that's right. It was right after. Yeah. Huh? Didn't really see that much damage. Was it all bombed out and depleted? No, it look, looked like normal, like tourist trap Orlando. It's gross. Um, my trip was pretty good. It is kind of astounding, like how many like theme parks and water parks and resort parks and like our hotel was like it could have been like a colony on the moon. It was like completely self-contained. It was in like its own glass bubble from from the the climate of Florida. It had like a, an alligator pond in the middle and a shark tank, and there's like a boat you could have dinner on with all the sharks swimming. It was weird, man. It's so weird. None of anyways, it appeals to me. Anyways, riding motorcycles. So we yeah. rode um the cool thing is Bridgestone is getting into the cruiser game. They came out with a special tire just for the American cruiser market, which is like from a business point of view, like it's kind of hard to like get sexy about it. You're like, yeah, we're going to ride some bikes and they're going to lean 30 degrees and these tires <laughs> are going to be awesome. Like going into it, I was like, how do you, how do you evaluate like a cruiser tire? Like, is it round? Okay. How many miles does it get? Cool. Like those are like, that'd be like my two criteria as like a cruiser owner. Like when I'm buying tires, is it round and, and how many miles am I going to get? And how much does it cost? Yeah. Um, but it is interesting from, from Brinstone's point of view, when you look at like tires sold in the United States, probably half the market is cruisers, sure. American cruisers at that. So there is kind of like a, a, a thing there that makes sense of them to say, hey, we're going to go after this market in a big way. We're going to come up with a special tire for it. We're going to take everything we learned from MotoGP and everything we learned making sport bike and street tires, and we're going to apply that to the cruiser tire. We're going to come out with something superior. And so, you know, I think they did improve. They, they, they call it like the baseline tire, which is kind of like an amalgamation of what is on Harleys and Indians and victories as OEM plus what's available from Dunlop and Michelin. And they were like, even by their own metrics, they're like, yeah, this tires, it's, it's definitely superior in the wet, but in the dry, it's a little bit better here and here and here. And, you know, just kind of like all around, just kind of like a modestly better tire. But then they're like, oh, but we're going to get almost double the mileage as our competition. I was like, well, there you go. That makes a lot of sense. And they're going to come into the market, like undercutting, Michelin and Dunlop by about 5%, they said. So they're going to be the cheapest high-end tire on the market, and they're supposedly going to get double the mileage. They're doing third-party um, evaluation and certification on that right now, so they couldn't like say, like stamp it down and be like, we will get double, but that's what they're saying the expectation is. So that's kind of interesting, and that kind of gets you excited. But it was a weird it was a weird launch for me to be at, and I think even some of the Bridgestone people were a little confused as why Asphalt and Rubber was there to evaluate the, uh, Dude, the H50. it's in your freaking name. Both of the things that you were dealing with <laughs> at the time. I think that, that's how I know it right? was like some PR person like, oh, we got to get the Asphalt and Rubber guy. That's, that's know, all he does. We're Rubber, and he, you know, we're going to be on the Asphalt. Even, so if, even if I got the name wrong and it's Assholes and Rubbers, we're still 50% <laughs> there. Yeah, say. Oh, God. Right. So overall, the tire worked fine considering what you did. And yeah, I mean, you're definitely going to run into ground clearance issues on the bike before did you, you get into lean. any hard parts I on did. the bike. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was one thing I was kind of like regretful not riding the bike more because I was like, I would the really, octane? yeah, I would really like to get to the point where I could scrape a little something, something. But you have to be really careful. You have to ease up on that because you don't want to leverage yourself and high well, that's, side. That's right? the other thing. Like you, you scrape and you scrape and you scrape, and then all of a sudden you run out of scrape and yeah, you're you're sure. over. But even just getting that little bit of and then on each side, it just makes you feel all warm and fuzzy that you've ridden the bike. That's it. All right, found there the limit. it is. Done. Well, that's why I get like that's why I was kind of like raising an eyebrow, like. Like, how much performance do you really need in these tires? Um, 
So, and, and there is like an element of like performance versus mileage because you're, you're playing around with compounds and, and constructions. And it's interesting. Seeing, the biggest thing for me was just interesting, interesting to see Bridgestone come in with all the things that they know from MotoGP and all the technology that they did, they've developed from that to, to build tires and evaluate tires and then be like, okay, let's just do that in this segment and just kind of blow everything out of the water. Which is cool. So that I think at the very least we'll add some more competition and we'll see some good growth in that in that space. So kudos to them on that. I still don't really know if I get it, but I, yeah, kudos to them on that. Cruisers, right? Cruisers? Question mark. Um, let's not talk about cruisers anymore. Okay, let's move. Let's talk about some sporty bikes because okay. some stuff happened since the last time you and I talked. Yeah, and I don't even know. It's been. It seems like it's been a yeah, while. Well, so it's been a couple weeks. Yeah. Hop into my time machine yeah. and let's go. Right. Check out some stuff. Way back to R six land. R six land. So so again, Florida. Again, Orlando. Aim Expo has occurred since our last show. Since last time we talked and recorded, and which is usually not like that big of a deal. But Yamaha has. I don't know. I think they're like an OEM partner with Aim because they did the R three launch a couple years ago, world debut at Aim. And this year, the new R6 debuted at the AIM Expo. So, the slightly warmed over, same as it's been for 10 years, R6. Yeah. That looks now like an R1. Exactly. And has some electronic shit. Yeah. And then some better forks. Some better forks. But it's the same frame. You look at it, it's like, that's, that's got, that's the same frame. Is it that is the a, same swing arm? It's, it's, it's all, the same swing arm. It's right? a lot, of, it's a lot yeah. of the same. And you know what? Can't hate on it. You know, if, if you, if it was a languishing turd pile for the past five years, we would be like, yeah, it's, well, it's not so good. We need to change it. But if it's working, there's nothing. I personally love iterative changes. Just just ease into it. See, that's, but, yeah, I think I think that's the right way of looking at it. And that's, I think, probably a story for Asphalt and Rubber that um, may or may not come out in time for this show to, to pop up. So keep an eye out for it. But it's like the difference between the R6 and the Honda CBR, yeah. uh, the 1000. Yep. Because... I think it's pretty safe to say that Honda probably had the worst superbike on the market with the Honda CBR1000R. Not to say it's a bad bike, but just comparatively. Out of the rest of them. It's probably one of the worst. Like, maybe you throw the Jixxer in there, but I think the Jixxer was probably the better bike. I don't know. It's debatable. It's debatable, but you're certainly not in the top three. Sure. So, so you come out, like, from Honda's point of view, we're like, okay, so you're kind of you're kind of last. You need to catch up and leapfrog, hopefully, everyone else. And, like, you kind of just – you definitely didn't ca- leapfrog anyone. And I'm not even sure you really caught up where it's like, you know, you've had eight years to make this bike better. And you just kind of punted. Yeah. Whereas with the R6, it's like, well, you're arguably – and I would put this up between it and the 6R from Cowie, the best super sport on the market. I mean, yeah. I, personally, I think the MV is the best super sport on the market, but it comes with a – like a crazy sister that you have to deal with, you know? Yeah. It comes with a crazy Italian family. <laughs> yeah. You have a crazy to deal Italian with. sister. Yeah. That's going to always just kind of like be a hassle, but you know, like the R6 was definitely still at the pointy end of the market. So you don't really have to come out of the gate swinging too hard. Yeah. So an iterative change, put electronics on it, make it a little bit better. I'm still disappointed. Not it's bad. not a triple. I'm going to just put that out there. I am disappointed that they didn't, they decided not to do a six, seven, five triple. I think I've been bitching. Yeah, right? It would have been right. But I get it. I understand. That's probably tough for them from a marketing standpoint. It would probably, uh, I don't think it'd be tough from a marketing standpoint no, at all. It would be, it would be especially when you just go be like, yeah, it's just, uh, it's like three quarters of an R1. Yep. And it's, you know, there's a, uh, argument for it in World Supersport. There are six, seven, five triples. Period. So 
right? I'm trying to think what the super sport rules look like. I don't think, I don't think the weight favors them. The minimum weight no, requirement. I'm sure it doesn't, but you could Yamaha could get that sorted. They'd figure it out. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Even that. Even if not, I'm talking about real, real world riding it down the street. Skippy's buying them to go pose. Uh, the triples are better. They're just a better thing for me. I, I, the four cylinders, I'm a little tired of. You have to spin them to 14,000 RPM. I don't know. That's just not not good for me for street bike use. But that's that's why I like this, anything weird. And I also like weird shit. Okay. I'll just call it that. I'm kind of with you. I think, I mean, I, I, the idea of a triple really appeals to me. I'm, I'm still looking for like a, a lightly crashed F3 800 because I think that'd be a bitch in track bike. You are a glutton for punishment. I know, right? Like between that and that. My husky? Yeah. Just, just <laughs> like I have to have problematic. I mean, I like weird, but I like weird that I have, can have access to parts. You know what the issue is? Is like I have too many bikes that are reliable. Now I can I can yeah, deviate out in tears. You like, got oh, the R1 and you're okay. Nothing, that R1, I mean, yeah, I don't even good. think it has uh, pistons in it. I think it's just coffee cans. <laughs> and they're just, just that it still works. It's fine. Well, you know, I probably could. You know, our good buddy Ben Fox is here in town, and he was helping get uh, the the AMA race bikes that I think Hayden Gillum rode are here in town. Um, a guy named Spiros Gabrilius, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, um, has them, and he was getting them running for him. And they're they're ex Super Sport bikes. He probably would want a lot of money for them, but I think he probably knows that there's not a lot of value. So I'll put in a good word and be like, hey. I might have a buyer. <laughs> oh, he's quiet. Like, you're like really quiet. Uh-oh. Time to sell some shit. <laughs> hope, hope, we'll who's walking, who's start, advertising on Asphalt and Rubber next, right? <laughs> we'll start walking by, by the bikes in the garage. Just be like, yeah, keep, yeah, your time's coming. Yeah. Your time's right. coming. It's like a cow to slaughter. <laughs> just, just keep chewing your cud. Yeah. See how that works out for you. We'll see. Okay, R6, bitchin'. Uh, you know what? It looks, I think it looks a lot better than the R1. The eyeballs aren't as stupid, even though they're still stupid eyeballs. Yeah. Um, in general, it looks like it'll... I love the silver and yellow version. Looks great. That does look good. Yep, yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say I am looking forward to that that press launch. I think it'll be a lot of fun. I'll be curious to see how the how they've done with the electronics and the ride-by-wire and all that. That is if you get invited. Uh, Yamaha, yeah, probably. I mean, they won't, they won't, bing, maybe that's Yamaha right now emailing me my invite. Um, yeah, I mean, they don't, they certainly don't advertise a fast fall and rubber, but I think that's the trade-off where it's like, yeah, we're not going to give you any money, but we'd really like to get some free marketing out of you. Yeah, sure. Such is the life. Let's switch gears to another new bike. Um, it's made by this Italian brand. Oh, God. It's, um, I'm not really good at my translations. It's the Super Leggy. <laughs> it's got long legs super legs yeah so so the ducati 1299 super legera has kind of leaked out and i know you probably can't talk about i this can't say much. a thing you can't say shit can yep. you how about you just like wink when i've got when i got it right <laughs> can i can i do it like lustily <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah you can right. do the, like little donald trump cocaine sniff just <laughs> <laughs> oh god uh. <laughs> Well, that's a lot of this is out. Like, no, that's out. Not, like, I don't think I don't think there's too much to tie your hands. But there's there's a lot of info out. Um, Project fourteen oh eight is what their Ducati's calling it internally, and I'm trying to remember. Then the eleven ninety nine 
Super Legere was the project 1201. Yeah, sure. So that's it's the year and then the month, right? Is so that how that works? That was when they start a project. Oh. That's always those numbers. It's, oh. Right? It's the year 14 and 08. So this was started over two years ago. Mm-hmm. That would make sense, though, when you start start thinking about how long it takes to develop a motorcycle. Yep. About three years from from conception to production. Pretty close to that. Yeah, that's interesting. I did not. That part I didn't know. I knew it was there was a a rhyme and a reason to the numbers, but I never knew what the uh, the exact one was. Well, there it is. Hopefully. Mystery solved. Yep. Boom. I don't think I'd get in trouble for that. That's like, but that I can see somebody getting all poopy right nah yeah nah i think they have to deal with it they on put one. 1408 out there the four yeah the 1408 not sure yeah no, that's my guess by the way that's, <laughs> my guess. that's what i think <laughs> as your legal advisor <laughs> yeah i think that's what i mean i think i think you're correct <laughs> um they never did say that so right okay all right so that it has it has a bunch of cool shit on it. So it's got a bunch of cool shit. So so the first Super Legera was based off the. We should preface a little bit. I should we should back it up a little. Bit. First Super Legera was based off the eleven ninety nine platform. The scuttlebutt is this is built off the twelve ninety nine platform. <laughs> He's waiting for a I'm wink. Waiting for the He's wink. waiting for a lusty link, a wink, and I'm a looking forward straight. <laughs> um, but that's so my I, let's put it this way. My sources tell me it's built off the twelve ninety nine platform. Um, my sources also told me that it was a carbon fiber chassis. We see the, the information leaking from the 1408 mini site where would be owners are getting invited and teased with information that we can. We've seen a carbon fiber uh, headstock airbox thing. We've seen a carbon fiber swing arm. We've seen carbon fiber wheels. So obviously, carbon fiber is extensively used and, in this. And chassis. when you say the headstock thing, that's the frame. A lot of people, for, right? Just to make sure right. everybody knows, you know, an R1 has a perimeter aluminum frame. Um, a KTM 1190, whatever the RC8 has a steel tube frame. An old 1098 would have a steel tube frame. The Panigale series from the get-go has had an engine that a a small triangular shaped box bolts to the top of the cylinder heads. Each cylinder head has two posts, and then this thing po- uh, bolts to the top of that and then the steering head where all the forks and whatnot bolts bolt to that and then the swing arm bolts to the engine in the back and there's no tie-in between that triangular piece that goes to the top of the engine and the swing arm which is unique and the Panigale engine then is a ultra stressed member even though every Ducati engine in a li- in a little bit is a stressed member that's very much the design that Ducati look at look at the monster right now it's got a steel trellis yep. frame or whatever built same off the cylinder head thing, right yeah. it's it is the same thing yeah. it's bolted to the, the to the two cylinder heads and that's it right that frame which you look at the top of any monster 1200 and a21 it's basically the same thing it's just not aluminum as it is on the Panigale. same thing and, on my hyper and this, the pictures that we yeah. see are carbon fiber and that's that's a fairly new thing because i was thinking about like my street fighter is a 2010 model but came out in 2009 and it's a steel trellis frame it is a it is a normal chassis design made out of steel tubes that are in a trellis formation whereas like my hyper which is what 2014 2015 2014 yeah. and it still That's has that kind of and it's not as trellisy yeah you can but you see it starting to to go away yeah sure. it's interesting and right. it doesn't tie in the, the always was the the from the 916 on there was a tie-in of that frame between 
The two engine mount bolts at the front are at the middle of the V and at the rear, in the crotch of the V, if you will, and at the rear, and then the swing arm pivot. So the swing arm pivot point um, would go through the engine cases on everything and then come out and go through the frames on either side that are tied to the rest of it, and then the swing arm would be part of that. Whereas on, a say, a 900 SS, a monster, any of the older things from early late 80s, early 90s, the frame bolted to the engine and the swing arm bolted to the to the engine cases, just like the Panigale, just like it. Same exact thing. ST2s, same exact thing. Um, a lot of people don't really think about that. It's not like a, right? That This is the that way for years and years and years. And when Honda did it, there was a bit of a freak out when the, um, the Super Chicken, Super Hawk. Super Hawk, yeah. It had a, a swing arm that pivoted in the cases and everybody's like, oh, that sucks. And same with the 950... 954? 954, yeah, maybe not the 929, but definitely the 954 had a similar deal. And again, a lot of people were freaked out by that, that, that there was no tie in it. People would make plates to weld in and right to tie it all back together to get some stiffness as they thought. Fair enough, that's probably a legitimate concern, but that that's the thing, that there's that we, there's stressed member, and then there's even more, like super stressed member, which is, in this case, the Panigale is beyond the pale, the fact that the cylinder heads are, are what are transmitting all the force vectors, right? Do you, this is, this is, this is putting you on the spot, do you know what the weight difference is between a Testostrata, say, 1098, 1198 you know motor versus... We looked versus- it up when we first got to the Panigale. We asked them when we were at the factory, this is back when I did the training, because it was like, hey... This engine has to be significantly more robust to handle the weight. And it is, even though there's so much lightweight stuff in a Panigale engine, the weights are really close. And it's just a teeny bit heavier because there had to be extra um, aluminum built into the heads and into the engine cases to handle the frame. Now, if they were going to make that Panigale engine completely on its own so that it wouldn't be a stressed member, it, it would be a lot lighter for sure. But if you look at the structure, it's a brick shit house. That's seriously, that engine is really boxy. Yeah. Um, I have an engine case at my house uh, that's just like, it's just barely, you could barely tell that it's a V-twin because it's just so stuffed together and just a box it's rad but the one thing about the carbon thing if indeed this bike comes with a carbon frame i don't think is there any doubts about that if it comes with a swing arm that's carbon fiber and if it comes with the wheels then that would be because i mean that's what they're teasing on the 1408 site yeah if 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 they are you can be be in if land i'll be in reality over here yeah you keep um, that's why i'm feeding it to you so i um, would say that's the first for production. Yes. There's never been a production no. carbon fiber frame and or swing arm. Is no, that right? That's correct. Has there been any anybody, even in small production, that's run carbon fiber wheels? Carbon fiber wheels, I'm trying to think. Is there I mean, any carbon fiber wheel that's TUV certified? That's that's a good question. That is, that's where you go. Right. right? Um, I'm trying to think TUV. I'm trying to think of BST or um, what's the Slovenian brand? Uh, Rotobox. Rotobox. I'm trying to think if they have TUV certification. I don't know off the top if of my head. If they do, they do. And, and that would be the thing for those wheels. The frame and swing arm, though, that's really interesting. So let's let's talk about I'm trying to think if any of the Bomoda models. That would be, that would, it would yeah. be a Bomoda sure. virus level sure. company doing it. It's certainly not a MV Augusta Ducati Aprilia, Japanese, American, whatever. Um, So carbon fiber is is such an interesting thing. And a lot of people are going to go, well, Valentino Rossi got on the Desma Sidigi race bike and it was carbon fiber and he failed. So it sucks. Yeah, whatever. I, I I do not subscribe to that. I think that 
was a titanic failure on Ducati's part to 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 not manage the rider and not there's a lot going on there. There's so there, there's a is, lot that we could rabbit hole on this, and I don't I really would, want a rabbit hole on it. I would just to say just to close it. I would say 75% of that issue was internal corporate structure yep. issues yep. and feedback loop and silos and sacred cows and all those business jargon standard yeah. of care. It was really, really <laughs> it's ugly. Just that, it was ugly it was, and stupid. It was an institutional problem. There, there definitely was some product issues. But I would I would actually place most of the product issue at the motor side of things and the electronic yeah, side of things. No the carbon fiber chassis, if you want to lay fall, I'm gonna be like you know, five, ten percent of the issue. If that. But so, but it was probably fifty percent of the marketing issue and the yeah. perception issue. Yeah. So I will just leave that there. So that the bike that Casey Stoner won his championship with in 07 was a steel frame bike. But the next year it went to carbon fiber. And it, that was where a lot of problems did start, but I don't think it was Preziosi at the time was able to fully get that baby uh, up and up and into toddler mode before it was scuttled, and then it and then never got to mature. So carbon fiber is a very complex thing to manufacture, to design and manufacture to get the best out of it. But what we were talking about earlier is I was looking at a picture on one of the car blog things that I see on Facebook, either Motorsports Retro or Petrolicious or something like that, where there was a picture. All of which have websites that are really good too, by the way. What's that? Motorsports Retro and Petrolicious yeah. are great websites. Yeah, no, they're, they're great to, file, or yeah, to yeah. follow. Please do, because yeah. they're, they're legitimately awesome. So there's a picture of one of the very early uh, McLaren uh carbon fiber tubs you call it a tub if you looked at a formula one car from the early 80s you wouldn't know it's just bodywork but you wouldn't you wouldn't see that if you took all the bodywork off it was a carbon fiber tub and this is 1982 three four somewhere around in there funny funny just note to interject this that's the, the same design ethos that was behind the a10 warthog where it's just like this just giant metal tub that we stick the pilot in and then everything else just kind of bolts onto that to make it a plane sure which is Arguably one of the best airplanes that's ever been. Like for me, it's SR seventy one, and then that. As strangely uh, different as they are, I fucking love the A ten. I've just uh, ever since I was a kid, and they came by uh, air show in my hometown. Just they're just raw, ugly, and then once you learn about what they can do and their capabilities in every situation, and like you could be half shot up with a wing missing, and they could still fly. I love everything about it. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, also too, it's it's basically a gun with planes yeah, with wings on the it gun they, they were like they're like they're like we need to get this gatling gun into the air what do we need to do to make that sure. happen and that shoots depleted uranium which is not good oh my god and if you look up look no. up videos of of this plane shooting and then uh, so a10 warthog uh whatever shooting Getting and then done. a phalanx um and i don't know how to spell it p-h-a-l-a-n-x maybe phalanx it's a uh, it's the thing they use on warships it's like an anti-missile oh, thing. About, it does yeah. a similar deal where it's shooting thousands of rounds per second at a specific area to try and get a missile that's yeah. nearly impossible to get. Both of those things create the same brap sound that you were like, wait, that's a gun? Yeah, because it, it's rad. And then look up the Dylan machine gun. The, uh, I think uh, the best usage of that would probably be in a Mythbusters episode where they, they use the Dylan machine gun that's in, in, a, in a turret 
in a, um, um, a like a GMC Yukon or something like that. Our good buddy Ben Fox was involved with making those back oh, for the, the Secret day. Service. No, well, he they actually made them. I think mostly for Saudi Arabia, and he was doing that in Colorado many, many, many years ago. Yeah, fascinating shit. Anyway, so that's rabbit hole. That's a good <laughs> rabbit hole. Meanwhile, Gatling Gatling Warthog, MP4. So McLaren MP4, uh, which was the I believe you, I might be getting the the nomenclature wrong, but it was the MP4 one um, was carbon fiber. And it was one of the first ones ever, and I, I I'm really pissed that I can't remember the designer's name because he was a really special uh, designer for the for that car. Uh, design engineer um, that that car was in the early 80s and this was carbon fiber it was at its infancy but they were doing it then honda's first foray or the first foray into a carbon fiber chassis was honda with the nr500 which was a um basically a v8 it was a uh a, a oval piston v4 the 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 idea was that if they could get the only way they could get a 500 cc four stroke to to make anywhere near the power that a two stroke would they'd have to rev the crap out of it and the only way they could do it w- within reason was to make an oval piston v4 which is a you, you want to go down a rabbit hole for yourself have at it because that's a really good one there's the nr750 most people know about which was a production oval piston bike from the late 80s early 90s that was the 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 follow-up to the rc30 they're all derivatives of the rvf 750 race bikes the nr was its own thing and it was a very special deal right and i think that was sochiro honda's personal like like uh baby right well you know what i mean as far as his it was his to to see to fruition it was one of the most beautiful motorcycles ever been of course i'm right okay so the um that the the initial start of that was in the late 70s and that's when they first made the oval piston bikes and that design and and the implementation of it and a lot of early engineers from that era at Honda they put on a bunch of young uh, almost avant-garde engineers they said all right you're you're going to have to do this thing and a lot of a lot of the trickle down for the next 20 or 30 years really of Honda's dominance was from that project. Even though it was an abject failure at the time, the NR500 was horrible. It didn't work. It was a, it would just shit itself everywhere. It didn't handle, and there was all kinds of problems. But between the having to develop oval pistons, which is you Weird. know really beyond the scope to be able to get piston rings to seal on an oval surface, and all the machine work would have to go on, and the dual rods, and I mean it's just bizarro. Then uh, the carbon fiber frame and all the trickle down from that, that cut the teeth of so many engineers, right? That the trickle down from that was, was it's never ending from all of the dirt bike and street bike uh, victories they had since the 80s until the, when they dominated MotoGP in the beginning of the 2000s. It, it was all derivative from that point. So that's a big deal. And that carbon fiber, again, was there it was. If you look at a picture of that frame, it's the worst use of carbon fiber ever because they didn't quite really understand how to use carbon fiber. It was like trying to use carbon fiber as if it was still steel. Yeah. They, so they made a trellis, yeah. not even a trellis. So it, was it was like, like a cradle. Like a cradle frame. Yeah. yeah. So carbon fiber is best used in big, flat surfaces where the as big and flat as you can, uh, where the weave can be directed and the the, the tensions and whatnot can be uh, Carbon fiber has used. good torsional properties. 
so you can you can you can have it in long flat pieces and it'll retain yeah it's it's shape under stress very very well it's when you start bending it everywhere and making complex curves it number one is difficult to manufacture number well it used two, to be now we've got a lot of really complex it's way better no yeah. doubt uh, but the, let's just call it that's the, still expensive no doubt it's still expensive it, it, and it's the weave that we're talking about like the normal cloth there are different types now as far as like bicycle frames and that that's you would take somebody that's an engineer for this to to have a chat on because I can't comment on that. Like if you see a carbon quote unquote carbon bicycle frame, it's a lot different than a carbon fiber bicycle frame. Some some of them are completely different. So that would be neat to drill down and get into what what that means and why aren't motorcycle wheels created like that if they're good for bicycle frames, and which is a complex curved surface, right? It's very difficult to do a wet layup of carbon fibers to make it work. They did it for many years. It was okay, but not optimal. Uh, and if you get any, even little bits of um, damage to any one of these things, it can compromise the whole structure very quickly. So for, for me to see though, that this stuff was started in, at, yes, at the highest level of motorsport. Um, and frankly, it was probably used in, in military applications well before that. To have it only just now finally getting to a production in 2000 and possibly in 2017, that's interesting. Like, why did it take so long? Um, what, what, why, right? You see, I would see that there were bits and pieces on Ducatis that were carbon fiber that were structural in the early 90s. The rear sets on a, a super mono, a Ducati super mono, which is, again, if you don't know what that is, Google it. Um, the rear sets on some of the A51 race bikes, they were carbon fiber. It was neat, right? It was like, oh, that must be the way to do it. That's what's going to happen. But then it doesn't. I would assume cost played a, a big part of that. And it's funny to see that it's taken this long to get uh, these chassis. You know, I go to Moto Sis and we had a carbon fiber chassis. Yeah. That that was one of the reasons why Both it was an interesting thing. And the electric bo electrical bikes had carbon oh, fiber Oh, for sure. Chassis. Well, the, the initial electric bike was, was a hacked up, literally hacked up like chop saw uh, version of the C1 frame, right. which was the piston engine bike. And it was seen, I mean, I mean, that wasn't necessarily designed well enough to be a true, truly well done carbon fiber frame, but it was an attempt and it was done by BST. Um, and, and that's the same place that made the wheels. So it was, it was, engineered uh, in-house in, in Portland, but then uh, executed by them. And that's an interesting thing because because my sources are saying BST is doing the carbon fiber work for Ducati as well. Yeah, Or sure. at least some of it. Sure. I, I, the wheels I, for sure. I Yeah, again, I can't. I, I'm very surprised by that if that happens. I'm very surprised. Knowing what happens in Motor Valley, which is where Bologna is, they call it Motor Valley from, from Marinello to... Uh, Santa Gata to to Bologna, all that area where Ferrari and um, and and Maserati and Ducati yeah. and all all that Motor Valley to to not have a place there that can create carbon and that's why fiber. I say, like I think I don't know. I definitely heard in one of those companies was involved as well, and I'm not quite sure where the split is. Sure, so, so it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Either way, if Ducati is spec'd it out and BST is capable of making it, I think they make like helicopter rotor blades, so you would hope that they could. Um, the stuff that they made for Sis, uh, I, I was, I did, it was horrible, right? I, it was gross. Yeah. yeah well, you and I have talked about that and yeah. you look at, you, and that's the funny thing, especially going down to Motor Corsa where the Sis stuff still is and looking at, because Motor Corsa also sells the Rotobox and you can look at the wheels side by side and like Rotobox is yeah. absolutely superiorly 
built better. But you also have to understand there's like a decade worth of time. Yeah, sure. Between when these two designs were built yep. and those manufacturing, like having worked with composites for almost 20 years, there's been huge changes, sure. huge changes in, in production and how we're building them and how we're laying them up. And like, like there's this crazy video, I think it's Audi and it shows their 3D uh, layup machine oh, for, yeah. for carbon fiber. Fascinating. And you just sit there and like, or no, it's not Audi, it's Lexus. Cause it makes oh, the, the LFA. It makes the LFA, for the frame. LFA. Yeah. yeah. Yep. But, All of it's fascinating. And I, that's why I would say with BST, just cause they made some eh stuff in the past, like I wouldn't have run their wheels 10 years ago, not by a long shot. Doesn't mean they can't improve or get better or do, do a better job of it. Right. And that's one of the interesting things that, that has come up in the comments. Cause there's definitely been people talking about, Oh, you're, so you're going to have a carbon fiber frame. Well, what happens when it crashes or what's the, the fatigue if, life on it or how long is it going to last? And, and it's the same thing with the wheels. It's like, Hey, I've seen, cause there's a lot of good stories about carbon fiber wheels blowing up. And that's kind of the reason Dimag went under. It was a British firm that was making yeah. carbon fiber wheels. I don't know anything um, about why they went under, but yeah, they were definitely making it, carbon it, wheels. But it's, you know, like it's those, those early days where it's early 2000s, carbon fiber is a really new material. We're using it on wheels and it wasn't really good out of the box. I think it's the same kind of thing that you're talking about with BST while you're at SIS. Either that or there would be problems with the way the tires are mounted, that you have to be very careful with those wheels. Or people would crash and their bikes would be obliterated and they'd blame a piece that was broken in half saying, Oh, that must've been it. When it was just the fact that they crashed, that broke it. Right. 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 And we've seen that over and over. I remember the first time we saw a crashed Panagale and everyone was like, the, the swing arm was broken in half. It was, it was at a race by race track in like South Africa. And, and pe- there was people like, Oh man, that bike's going to be, I was like, bullshit. We talked about this on the last show. The, the most recent version of this was the, the, the guy looping the, the R9T oh, scrambler. Yeah. yeah, same thing. Oh, it must have been the swing arm. Like, no, that no. swing arm got bent because he looped the bike right. and, and it landed crashed. on same it. Thing. Yeah. So you, you really have to be careful about what you say and and what the what your suppositions are when it comes to this shit. Bottom line is the Ducati's done I'm sure done their research and figured out what they can do. And if you bet if you compromise any one of those bits, I guarantee you if it was aluminum or steel or magnesium it would be just as compromised or similarly compromised right you mean you, in a crash yeah if you if you crash uh, a, a panigale and it uh, goes end over end and it has aluminum frame yeah you're gonna want to try and change that aluminum frame as well if not the engine cases yeah same thing as with carbon fiber it's gonna happen right yeah you're gonna be susceptible to damage a little bit more especially with the wheels you have to be really careful you hit a curb and you damage a carbon fiber wheel you better have good insurance period period like that's that will fail the wheel whereas if it was aluminum forged aluminum you might be able to get a bent might right if it's too bad sometimes you can't bend them back it'll crack magnesium done usually done forged magnesium is better i know i've been on the side of a road with a claw (laughs) hammer bending forged magnesium wheels back i can attest they do does that make it safe I wouldn't want to put those wheels underneath anybody else, but the same with carbon fiber. Now, like once you've done something to it, it is done for sure. I've had a carbon fiber handlebar snap off on me while riding a bike. The and the the bar had been crashed on before. I, it was compromised, and I really had been like, "Man, it'll be fine." And I'm going down a hill in Forest Park on a cyclocross bike on, in the drops, and the thing breaks off on me. Like I was in the drops on my way down. Holy shit. That was a scary thing because my brakes, I didn't have yeah. um, I didn't have brakes up on the top bar yet. I'd only had the drop bar uh, brakes. 
oh, dude, I am lucky to not have gone off a, the, the side of a cliff at that stage. It was really nasty. So for me, I was like, okay, no more carbon fiber handlebars. Just on, just because I don't want to have to deal with that. Is the weight savings from my my skill level enough to justify, whereas I could just go buy some nice aluminum handlebars that are light enough, right? And so that's where a lot of this stuff comes with well, motorcycle racing. And that's kind of the, the duality of it. Like, you know, for, for me, I'm willing to have a little bit more open of a mind because I, I have seen how much this technology has improved in 10 years and, and know that perception is going to be slower to change than yeah, the sure. technology is. So there's a part of this like, you know, I bet we can make a carbon fiber wheel these days or a carbon fiber frame these days that is going to have longevity and, and, and meet the criteria that we need for a motorcycle like this. But I also kind of get like what you're saying. Like there is just kind of like this little, are we trying to use a material in a way that yes, it can do it, but maybe isn't the perfect material for that choice considering all the all the elements of, of crashing and what it's going to look like 20 years from now and yeah the key is know, 20 years is, from now I'll is, be very do, we, do we really need to lose that extra 300 grams on this piece or is that just kind of splitting hairs at this point or does the marketing value of being able to say this is made out of carbon fiber is that is that a, oh, being yeah. a bigger factor totally. especially on a bike that's going to be anywhere from 60 to eighty thousand dollars some obnoxious amount like the the last super legera yeah. they're going to sell well i heard it's going to be 80 grand so if it's yeah. 80,000 right? which is really that's that'd be 15,000 more than the 1199 version it, it's probably the same amount in 2008 dollars as a desmond sedici right desmond sedici was yeah. started at yeah. 65 and went well, to 72 not a lot of inflation since then but it close yeah yeah enough where it's like what super special and a desmond sedici was super fucking special that was true and it had a lot of carbon um pieces on it that were structural like the whole tail section was carbon fiber and that was a, a self-supporting not any supported by anything else other than carbon fiber that the whole which, tail. which i would expect to see on the 1299 version well it's on the super legit the last super legit yeah i couldn't quite remember yep absolutely okay it's, it's carbon that okay. tail section is and it's trick it's beautiful it's amazing i know i'm staring at one every day now right in front of my office like oh, i look yeah. over my computer at the super legit that we have and a desmond cdg i look at both of them and I'm like hmm Anyway, back to the carbon fiber. <laughs> I mean, we talk about this, but this is what gets us going because this is the trick shit. We almost never get to talk about Ducati motorcycles. Yeah, right? So, it's so good that we, we got to take the that. opportunity to really di dive deep into the super legera or whatever we're, we're going to call this this thing that the 1408 super, is. Super, super legera. Super, super legera. Mega legera. Mega. It's like megalodon. Yeah, megalodon. Like the, it'd be like the shark, sure. Oh, God. All right, so there's that. That should be interesting to see how that unfolds. I would assume they're going to uh, post something at ICMA, right? It'll yeah, be it'll be ICMA. for sure. Be for, I think actually the invite to the Ducati launch has, uh, on the Monday night before ICMA starts, has a photo of, of it. It's a Panigale front end that looks yeah. a little different, so I'm assuming that's a super legera. Sure. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. Does that photo have color? It does. Is it orange? It's that red. Weird? It's like a real, it's like a red, red. Okay. But not the orange? I no, wonder not, if they're going to do that that's, same. That's what I was curious too. Hydrofluoroluminescent F1 orange. F1 red, TV yeah. red. Yeah. No, it looks It looks like a true, it looks like a cherry red, to be honest. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even look like a, a true Ros Rosso Corsa. It looks like a, uh, like a cherry red. All right. Well, but that's, you know. Soon to see it. We'll see. Yeah. Time will tell. But 
just one thing I want to add to that before we get off the subject and get onto something else is to take a moment to appreciate how cool it is that a company is like, hey, yeah, we want to come out with the super whammy carbon fiber motorcycle because not too many brands would do that. Yeah. I think, I think that's really cool. I think that's something that gets lost really quickly in this whole, this whole scheme of things. And it was the same thing with the, with the 1199 super leger where it's just like, like just take a minute to appreciate that, like how trick this motorcycle is and that this bike even exists is, is pretty gnarly. And it's not a homologation special. This isn't so Ducati can go racing as it was with the 1199. It's not like, Oh, we're going to use this to go race. And this is just our, you know, we're going to build 500 of them bike. This is just like a, we wanted to build this bike. It's a special limited edition. This is probably going to be the last model year of the Panigale line. Um, and it, I just like, I, I just feel like it's going out with a bang. And I like that a lot. Yeah, sure. Same as for me, it's like looking at a Ferrari or McLaren. I mean, that's what they're, that's what McLaren does. They make sure hypercars, sure. lightweight carbon fiber, uh, evocative of the racing. Sure. Ferrari, when they make cars that are all very trick, but they'll make something like the La Ferrari or, or that La Ferrari FXX thing where it's like you pay millions of dollars and then it. You, don't even, <laughs> you don't even have the thing. Yeah. You go to the places where you can go drive it and it's the, one of the trickest vehicles ever, ever produced ever with four wheels. So this is similar, and, but it's attainable. Right? $80,000 to some of these super wealthy people, I mean, it's not... Uh, unattainable, right? It is for me, but it, it isn't for a few. And that's really cool. I was trying to think like if you finance it, what the monthly payment would be. I bet you have. Uh, I, I can't remember. I didn't do that. It's like, it's a lot of money for a motorcycle. Like if you didn't need a car and like you lived in a cheap apartment, you could own one of these things. <laughs> uh-huh. You've you've started to started, I, started, I started walking by the bikes in the garage, really just criticizing. Yeah, like, like, Do you really need to be here? Because my garage is really full right now. It is. It's really full. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. And wait, I only have one in there now, don't I? No, I have, I have two. two. You have I have two. two. It's two times your fault. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> and b- both of them, I look at them, they know that, that I'm happy to look at them. <laughs> I just got to work on the XR. Okay. All right, so that one, what else you got? Uh, what else do I got? Let me look at my little show notes here. Do you want to talk some more about Ducati or do you want to move on? I would love to move on. Okay, so we won't talk about the the Desert Sled or the Cafe Racer. Well, didn't we already discuss those? I, dude, these shows blur together. It's so funny. This is how, like, I feel like a, like a recovering alcoholic where, like, the last just, like, year of my life just all blurs together. Or it's well, just, it, uh, why in, is that? In podcast shows, like, I just... I think we talked about it on the podcast. I know. And we have, we have some serious, like if one of our listeners like made some show notes for us, I think. <laughs> Wasn't that supposed to be like your job in this uh-huh. whole thing? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. I'm not doing I'm it. I'm going to teach you how to edit oh. shit because this is getting old. Because <laughs> the, the show notes would be nice if we were like, okay, we talked about this, 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 and this. Like, that's all we need. But man, do I not want to have to listen to my voice. I hate it anyway. I mean, I I don't like listening. You to my listen vo- to the shows after we record them, right? Every once in a while. Yeah, right. <laughs> Such every, a liar. You know, every <laughs> once in a while, a dirty I liar. fucking hate it. I don't like listening to myself. So uh, um, anyway, no, I don't know if we did. I'm not sure. Okay. We well, should talk about it again, though. You're gonna have to cut it out. Maybe you'll have to go and find the other one. Nah. What? Which? What? The what? desert sled was the the enduro. Yeah. One and then sure. the cafe racer. I, Probably don't need to say much more than that, really. That they're no, it, but that's cool. The desert sled thing. I'm really stoked about that because because they're calling it a desert sled. We saw a teaser video and we've seen the um, 
Cafe what, Racer. No, but we've seen the uh, the pictures. The picture, of oh, it, yeah, we saw the, the spy photos. The spy photos of a bike. And everyone's like, ooh, what's going on with that? If they make a legitimate desert sled, which is what most SoCal tuner dirt bike people would call like a kind of a heavier scrambler, like, but that's made to really actually rip, go do Baja or Barstow to Vegas on a larger bike. That's what you'd call desert sled. And I think at the time it would be some big ass BSA triumph, you know, something like yeah. that, a Norton, you know, you throw the, one of the engines that's, uh, you know, mainly for a, a, a road bike and then just go rip it. And I think if you found a picture of Steve McQueen, on his triumph in that era, look up the number 278 and Harvey Mushman, because that's how he would enter races as Harvey, um, because he couldn't, like, the the, the um, contracts and all that. Yeah, uh, what are they called when they make movies? They are a studio. The studios would be like, nope, can't do that. And he'd be like, all right, uh, good old Harvey is entering this race. Uh, the cool pictures, Those that's a desert sled to me. What a real scrambler from that era would have been. Uh, basically knobby tires on one of their street bikes. And this one, if they are going to do it right, man, my fingers are crossed because I don't know if they make it so that it's workable. Like it's a, even if it's just the standard Scrambler 800 engine, great, that's fine. But if they make it so that the chassis is capable off-road, I will be in heaven. All my Terra coursing and Terra strottering and Ducati off-road, it will finally be okay because riding a Multistrada Enduro is rad, but it's way too heavy for me, right? I'm way happier riding around on my Multistrada 1100 off-road than I am that just because I don't want all that weight. I'm not going to Prudhoe Bay and back, but that's what I want to have something that will actually go rip around and I wouldn't have to go buy a KTM 690R or I don't know what other bikes that might be in the realm which are larger. Husky 701, but that's yeah. basically the same bike. Same thing, right? I don't know what else is made that's just light enough but still has a street yeah. bike engine where you could you could actually ride to Eastern Oregon and then go do some ripping and tearing. Tiger 800, maybe? No, no, yeah. it's still too big. Most of those things are too big. So that's what I'm saying. This gets it to possibly, and I've got my fingers crossed. If if it is, then it's definitely going to be my next bike for sure. Like I, I would be excited by this. More so than the rumored smaller uh, Multistrada, right? Because yeah, the small, really... quote unquote, smaller Multistrada looks like it's going to be looks from the spy photo I saw. It looks like it's going to be the same exactly size, exactly fucking the same, right? And yeah. if that's if fair enough, if there's a price point and it's a little dumbed down and it's a it's a smaller engine, whatever, that's that's good. That'll fill a market. But for me, it's not what I want. No, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I and hope the, I hope it's more than just hey, we put longer suspension on it. Yeah, sure, and it makes a, and I hope they race it. I hope Nathan Verdugo races it in Baja, is what I'm saying. And I hope Nathan gives me a ring and says, hey, I need some help with this because I want to do that. That'd be I would, cool. I'd be all about it. I'd be all about it. Good old Nathan. All right, so Nathan is the press officer for... I think he's actually the guy in the video. Yeah, I bet. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. And shout out to Jamie Robinson, who's definitely the guy in the video. And which one? I think he's in both. Okay. I think he's got a little cameo in both. Nah, wouldn't be surprised both of them for yeah. sure. Yeah. Nathan Nathan used to be a uh, an Aprilia racer. He raced the SXV um, off road. Yeah, yeah. Which he is and I talked about kind that. of notable, right? Yeah. To, to, that's the V twin. I mean, oh, gnarly. Um, so yeah, that and then the Cafe Racer. I, it's just what people have been doing to them yeah. from the get go. So hopefully, it'll be a better mix of parts than what the 100 percent uh, not excited about that bike. yeah sure but right. i think totally the right thing to do with that lineup and that model you watch what people are doing with your bike you make that bike 
it'll they'll sell they'll sell units i just i'm i'm so done with the cafe racer thing i'm so over it i think the market's over it i think we're watching the nader of it approach us rapidly nader nader not the ralph, ralph. Nader. not the, the ralph. ralph not a ralphie <laughs> that's a different kind of nader yeah that's a that's a uh, rear end you and blow up nader right that's the pinto yeah nader all right <laughs> meanwhile Meanwhile, on bike land, let's move. Let's move out of Italy, move into Germany real Ooh. quick. Sprachen Sie Deutsch. So, so we were talking about the show. Did you? Did you? Or we were talking before the show. Did you see the BMW Vision Next 100 bike? Where apparently in the future, you don't we, have to wear we, gear. We don't need to have any helmets because like bugs and deer and potholes don't exist anymore. Yeah, uh, the whole, the whole thing was just ridiculous to me. I thought it was stupid. It was a design exercise. Call it what it is. It's a marketing exercise. Yeah, it was some. Some person at that art center did, did a great looking design that was evocative of the of the uh, the fake the flat, the fake flat twin engine, engine and yeah. made it kind of look like the bike from the twenties and uh, I, I get it that's what they have to do but it it was there was uh, not enough substance for me to even get partially excited by it. My my funny thing is is just whenever I see a company try and predict a hundred years into the future and I just laugh at the. Um, lack of hubris that must come with that because just just think about where we were a hundred years ago like and put yourself in that point in time pre-internet pre-cell phone pre-international travel within you know other side of the globe within 10 20 hours wait wait wait. when you say lack of hubris i'd say that's nothing but hubris it's like titanic arrogance oh oh yeah yeah you know okay i fucked that up sorry yeah i fucked that up that's the the amount of hubris. Have you seen how long my Mountain Dew cup's oh, been dude, empty? Oh, dude, it's been empty for a while. I There's like the... vapors coming out. I'm surprised you're not trying to sniff them. Yeah, I need to get a new, <laughs> I, my my assistant, I need a new Dew assistant. Yeah. We're going to teach the cat how to do it. <laughs> Can you just imagine? She's got like a little harness and it's got like little cans and she just comes running. She does kind of look like a St. Bernard, but a cat. <laughs> and she is kind of dog-like. So she my could... cat husky. Right? Aw, Cody kitty. She's a, she's a chubber for sure. Yeah, she's, she's a little. She's a little chubber. She looks like she's been doing there's the do. There's a lot right? of fluff, <laughs> but she's stout. You know, she's well built. Oh, she's and a brick shit house of a cat. Yeah. That's for sure. She's a full twin spar aluminum frame. <laughs> <laughs> she's got engine cases like a super quadro. Yes. <laughs> Anywho, um, where was I going with that? The hubris involved in a hundred year plan. Yeah, I just it just it always strikes me. I did a really interesting interview coming out of business school with Exxon Mobil, and they have they're pretty. Famous for it, actually, a hundred year plan. And, you know, this by far the worst interview you could ever pop. I mean, it lasted three minutes. Like, like I'm not like joking, like, oh yeah, it was like three minutes long. No, it was legitimately 180 seconds long because it started out with the dude being like, Hey, how do you feel about being an accountant for the rest of your life? And me being like, I think that's a fucking horrible idea. Oh, really? I've been an accountant for 20 years at ExxonMobil. I'm like, that must be great to have that kind of job security. Conversation over. But the fun part was at the end, he's like, so do you have any questions for me? And I'm like, well, this clearly didn't go well. So let's just get those questions that have been itching in the back of my mind being like, hey, so what are you guys going to do when we finally run out of oil? Like, what's plan B? To which he replies, oh, we'll never run out of oil. And it's like, well. In his lifetime, in his career path. I don't know about that either, though. But I'm like, it's, let me, like, let me get this right. Finite resource. We're taking it out of the ground quicker than it's being put back into the ground via, you know, the breakdown of biomass. So like just by basic math, we're going to run out. Like we're taking it out quicker than it's getting produced. Finite resource. We have to run out. Sure. 
and, yeah. and many would argue but that, that there's billions and trillions of gallons and i don't even know if the math peak, would even peak, no i don't i think peak oil happened already Is peak that oil true? happened already even even exxon mobile admit that peak oil happened already did it really yeah all right explain what peak oil is peak That's oil I don't know if I can explain it in the course of the podcast. It's tough, isn't it? So we we have we we are pulling it out out of the ground as fast as we will ever will, and now from this point forward, we will pull out less and less and less each year. And you know, it was interesting hearing this guy from ExxonMobil because he was like, "Well, you know, we always find more oil. Like, you know, we always say we can't find it." And I'm like, "Yeah, we say you know you can find more until you can't. Until you can't. Sure. And and the idea of that too is he's kind of right in the sense that." It all comes down to cost. Like there is massive amounts of oil sitting underneath the North Pole. It's just really expensive to pull that oil out of the ground because you got to get a rig up there. There's all this ice. There's penguins and polar bear. There's no penguins. There's I don't just, think there's penguins bears. in the North. No, yeah. It's all south. Polar bears North, penguins south. Yeah. Fucking polar bears all over the place. Yep. It's, it's a thing. But they're all but dying. At, well, yeah. I don't know, man. I'm thinking this is where the climate change. This is where the <laughs> oil working. companies are like, "Hey, no, you joke we keep about warming it? this shit up." You joke about it, but that's that's a big thing of contention right now of all the natural resources around the North Pole and Canada and Who Russia. Owns and, Who owns it? Right? Where is it? There's Who a huge yeah. thing going on there sure. that people don't talk about. So we'll see. Yeah. But there's that idea, like at ten dollars a gallon, pulling the the oil out of the North Pole starts making sense. Doesn't make sense right now with gas being like 230 nationally or 210 yeah, nationally sure. whatever it is right now um if keep fracking natural gas and then right and but, on and on and on keep making ethanol but, but out this, of fucking but that's the thing. corn that's the thing so Ugh. so this is what i love about exxon though and this is this is where i was going with this 100 years from now, they have a plan on how exxon mobile is going to be relevant 100 years from now and you just sit there and you're just like guaranteed 100 years from now we're not using oil like just it's just not going to happen we just we probably won't even have enough of it for, for starters yeah you know but but just think about like just you know take aside like going to mars and you know electric stuff and all this like just just think about transportation what it's gonna look like from 100 years from now we like i don't even know what transportation is gonna look like 10 20 years from now with, with autonomous vehicles and ai sure. and sure. self-driving cars and vehicle to vehicle uh communication like we're at the precipice of a massive sea change for, for how we get from point A to point B. You know, like it just, I just sit there and boggles my mind. So it's the same idea with like BMW having this hundred year concept. I'm just like, you think we're going to be able to sit on top of vehicles a hundred years from now? Like, give me a break. Like we're going to be teleporting a hundred years from now. <laughs> I hope, you know, maybe. Yeah, I know. But I see what you mean. Like if you're really dig in and you are hopeful, Right, that would be the key. Yeah, that, that's the thing that always gets me with these concepts because they're always they're always based in concepts that we have now. These ideas that we have now, like we understand the world from from this point in time. We don't understand the world from a hundred years point in time, just by definition. So, like, you can't really predict the future, and that's why I always get these like concepts that are kind of just like not not just that, but then sometimes just the ludicrousness of it. You know, plastic is a petroleum product. Plastic. Well, there's a great. What do you think is going to happen? Right. There's a great it's argument. Not just burning coal, coal and using it as fuel. Long chain hydrocarbons have other things. I'll right? do you one better. Pharmaceuticals are an oil product. Oh God. There's there's a great argument that we, have, we that. have grossly mismanaged this resource on our earth. Oh, that of is course. that is oil and petroleum because making I mean that's basically how you make complex hydrocarbons, which is what a lot of pharmaceuticals are, which is a lot of plastics are and all yep. these other things. Sure. So we're sitting here burning gasoline at two bucks a gallon. You know, 
hundred years from now, we may realize be like, Hey, so we, you know, that stuff that we make like penicillin out of and you know, all these other drugs, uh, yeah, I never, we, I never we kind of of ran out of that. Yeah. So sure. Hey, so here's that plague. BMW here. Yeah. Tell me about your, your, your vehicle now again. How's that? Like some work? weird, like plastic frame that moves. It's a whole thing. It's, it's interesting to think about, uh, at cocktail parties and, and stuff like that or winter barbecues. Now that we're getting into the season, this, uh, this world needs a pandemic. That's what I say. Wow, you're one of those guys. Oh, yeah. Time for a good plague. No, absolutely. Just wipe them out. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just gloss right over that last story. Okay. You ready for this? Yeah. You're going to like this story. Oh, I can't wait. Ducati X Diavel kickstand recall. <laughs> I can't recall what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was when I, what, the first time I heard of it in the morning. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. You're talking about the the Diavel kickstand recall, right? I, the the one from a couple of years ago. I'm like, no, no, no. This is for the XD album. I'm like, you've got to be shitting me. And I would read through it because this is what I do. I kind of I'm curious. This is what I did for so long was go through recalls and technical service bulletins and all this shit. So I see this thing, and it's it's not exactly the same because in the in the original D, uh, Diavel they had to replace the kickstand and the bolt that bolts it, and then this. This is like a plate or There's something. There's a bolt. Yeah. And it's just, all of it's just fucking stupid. And, uh, right? But you I gotta, figured, like, I'm T-balling you up. Yeah, here. I know. And I'm, what I'm basically I mean, like, is this like, is you know like what? silver platter. Jensen gives up. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, the kickstands, you have to put them up on the shelf. You got to put them up on the service stand. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's it. Kickstands up. If you can. <laughs> I can't recall. <laughs> Good talk. See you out there. <laughs> Dustin Pipes. 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 Dustin Pipes.